Chapter Eight B of the Book of the Damned. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Acacia Wood. The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort. Chapter Eight B. Then the instance of three lumps of earthy matter found upon a well-frequented path after a thunderstorm at Reading, July 3, 1883. There are so many records of the fall of earthy matter from the sky that it would seem almost uncanny to find resistance here, were we not so accustomed to the uncompromising stands of orthodoxy, which in our metaphysics represents good as attempts, but evil in their insufficiency. If I thought it necessary, I'd list one hundred and fifty instances of earthy matter said to have fallen from the sky. It is his antagonism to atmospheric disturbance associated with the fall of things from the sky that blinds and hypnotizes a Mr. Simons here. This especial Mr. Simons rejects the reading substance because it was not of true meteoritic material. It's uncanny or it's not uncanny at all but universal if you don't take something for a standard of opinion you can't have any opinion at all but if you do take a standard in some of its applications it must be preposterous the carbonaceous meteorites which are unquestioned though avoided as we have seen by orthodoxy are more glaringly of untrue meteoritic material than was the substance of reading mr simon says that these three lumps were upon the ground in the first place. Whether these data are worth preserving or not, I think that the appeal that this especial Mr. Simons makes is worthy of a place in the museum we're writing. He argues against belief in all external origins for our credit as Englishmen. He is a patriot, but I think that these foreigners had a small chance, in the first place, for hospitality from him. Then comes a small lump of iron, two inches in diameter, said to have fallen during a thunderstorm at Brixton, August seventeenth, eighteen eighty seven. Mr. Simon says, At present I cannot trace it. He was at his best at Notting Hill. There's been a marked falling off of his later manner. In the London Times, February first, eighteen eighty eight, it is said that a roundish object of iron had been found, after a violent thunderstorm, in a garden at Brixton. August seventeenth, eighteen eighty seven. It was analyzed by a chemist who could not identify it as true meteoritic material. Whether a product of workmanship like human workmanship or not, this object is described as an oblate spheroid, about two inches across its major diameter. The chemist's name and address are given Mr. J. James Morgan, Ebel Vale. Garden. Familiar ground. I suppose that in Mr. Simon's opinion this symmetric object had been upon the ground in the first place, though he neglects to say this. But we do note that he described this object as a lump, which does not suggest the spheroidal or symmetric. It is our notion that the word lump was, because of its meaning of amorphousness, used purposely to have the next atom stand alone, remote, without similars. If Mr. Simons had said that there had been a report of another round object that had fallen from the sky, his readers would be attracted by an agreement. He distracts his readers by describing in terms of the unprecedented. Iron Cannonball It was found in a manure heap in Sussex, after a thunderstorm. 
However, Mr. Simons argues pretty reasonably, it seems to me, that given a cannonball in a manure heap in the first place, lightning might be attracted by it, and, if seen to strike there, the untutored mind, or mentality being below the average, would leap, or jump, or proceed with less celerity, to the conclusion that the iron object had fallen. Except that, if every farmer isn't upon very familiar ground, or if every farmer doesn't know his own manure heap as well as Mr. Simons knew his writing desk, then comes the instance of a man, his wife, and his three daughters at Casterton, Westmoreland, who were looking out at their lawn during a thunderstorm when they considered, as Mr. Simons expresses it, that they saw a stone fall from the sky, kill a sheep, and bury itself in the ground. They dug. They found a stone ball. Simons coincidence it had been there in the first place this object was exhibited at a meeting of the royal meteorologic society by mr c carus wilson it is described in the journal's list of exhibits as a sandstone ball it is described as sandstone by mr simons now a round piece of sandstone may be almost anywhere in the ground in the first place but by our more or less discreditable habit of prying and snooping we find that this object was rather more complex and of material less commonplace in snooping through knowledge october ninth eighteen eighty five we read that this thunderstone was in the possession of mr c carus wilson who tells the story of the witness and his family the sheep killed the burial of something in the earth the digging and the finding mr c carus wilson describes the object as a ball of hard ferruginous quartzite about the size of a coconut weight about twelve pounds whether we're feeling around for significance or not there is a suggestion not only of symmetry but of structure in this object it had an external shell separated from a loose nucleus mr carus wilson attributes this cleavage to unequal cooling of the mass my own notion is that there is very little deliberate misrepresentation in the writings of scientific men that they are quite as guiltless in intent as our other hypnotic subjects such a victim of induced belief reads of a stone ball said to have fallen from the sky mechanically in his mind arise impressions of globular lumps or nodules of sandstone which are common almost everywhere he assimilates the reported fall with his impressions of objects in the ground in the first place to an intermediatist, the phenomena of intellection are only phenomena of universal process localized in human minds. The process called explanation is only a local aspect of universal assimilation. It looks like materialism, but the intermediatist holds that interpretation of the immaterial, as it is called, in terms of the material, as it is called, is no more rational than interpretation of the material in terms of the immaterial, that there is in quasi-existence neither the material nor the immaterial, but approximations one way or the other. But so hypnotic quasi-reasons that globular lumps of sandstone are common. Whether he jumps or leaps, or whether only the frowsium baseborn are so athletic, his is the impression by assimilation that this especial object is a ball of sandstone or human mentality its inhabitants are conveniences it may be that mr simon's paper was written before this object was exhibited to the members of the society and with the charity with which for the sake of diversity we intersperse our malices we are willing to accept that he investigated something that he had never seen but whoever listed this object was uncareful 
it is listed as sandstone we're making excuses for them really as it were you know we're not so quite as damned as we were one does not apologize for the gods and at the same time feel quite utterly prostrate before them if this were a real existence and all of us real persons with real standards to judge by i'm afraid we'd have to be a little severe with some of these mr simonses as it is of course seriousness seems out of place we note an amusing little touch in the indefinite allusion to a man who with his unnamed family had considered that he had seen a stone fall the man was the rev w Carris wilson who was well known in his day the next instance was reported by w b tripp f r m s that during a thunderstorm a farmer had seen the ground in front of him ploughed up by something that was luminous dug bronze axe my own notion is that an expedition to the north pole could not be so urgent as that representative scientist should have gone to that farmer and there spent a summer studying this one reported occurrence as it is an unnamed farmer somewhere no date the thing must stay damned another specimen for our museum is a comment in nature upon these objects that they are of an amusing character thus clearly showing that they were of terrestrial and not a celestial character just why celestiality or that of it which too is only of intermediateness should not be quite as amusing as terrestriality is beyond our reasoning powers which we have agreed are not ordinary of course there is nothing amusing about wedges and spheres at all or archimedes and euclid are humorists it is they who were described derisively if you'd like a little specimen of the standardization of orthodox opinion american meteorolic journal four five eighty nine they are of an amusing character thus clearly showing that they were of a terrestrial and not a celestial character i'm sure not positively of course that we've tried to be as easy-going and lenient with mr simons as his obviously scientific performance would permit of course it may be that subconsciously we were prejudiced against him instinctively classing him with st augustine darwin st jerome and lyle as to the thunderstones i think that he investigated them mostly for the credit of englishmen or in the spirit of the royal krakatoa committee or about as the commission from the french academy investigated meteorites according to a writer in knowledge five four eighteen the krakatoa committee attempted not in the least to prove what had caused the atmospheric effects of eighteen eighty three but to prove that krakatoa did it altogether i should think that the following quotations should be enlightening to any one who still thinks that these occurrences were investigated not to support an opinion formed in advance in opening his paper mr simon says that he undertook his investigation as to the existence of thunderstones or thunderbolts as he calls them feeling certain that there was a weak point somewhere inasmuch as thunderbolts have no existence we have another instance of the reported fall of a cannonball it occurred prior to mr simon's investigations but it is not mentioned by him it was investigated however in the proceedings of the royal society of edinburgh three one forty seven is the report of a thunderstone supposed to have fallen in hampshire september eighteen fifty two it was an iron cannon-ball or it was a large nodule of iron pyrites or bisulphurate of iron no one had seen it fall it had been noticed upon a garden path for the first time after a thunderstorm 
it was only a supposed thing because it had not the character of any known meteorite in the london times september sixteenth eighteen fifty two appears a letter from mr george e bailey a chemist of andover hence he says that in a very heavy thunderstorm of the first week of september eighteen fifty two this iron object had fallen in the garden of mr robert dowling of andover that it had fallen upon a path within six yards of the house it had been picked up immediately after the storm by mrs dowling it was about the size of a cricket ball weight four pounds no one had seen it fall in the time september fifteenth eighteen fifty two there is an account of this thunderstorm which was of unusual violence there is some other data relative to the ball of quartz of westmoreland they're poor things there's so little to them that they look like ghosts of the damned however ghosts when multiplied take on what is called substantiality if the solidest thing conceivable in quasi-existence is only concentrated phantomosity it is not only that there have been other reports of quartz that have fallen from the sky there is another agreement the round quartz object of westmoreland if broken open and separated from its loose nucleus would be a round hollow quartz object my pseudo position is that two reports of similar extraordinary occurrences one from england and one from canada are interesting proceedings of the canadian institute three seven eight that at the meeting of the institute of december first eighteen eighty eight one of the members mr j a livingstone exhibited a globular quartz body which he asserted had fallen from the sky it had been split open it was hollow but the other members of the institute decided that the object was spurious because it was not of true meteoritic material no date no place mentioned we note the suggestion that it was only a geode which had been upon the ground in the first place its crystalline lining was geode like quartz is upon the index prohibitory of science a monk who would read darwin would sin no more than would a scientist who would admit that except by the up and down process quartz has ever fallen from the sky but continuity it is not excommunicated if part of or incorporated in a baptized meteorite st catharines of mexico i think it's an epicurean a distinction as any ever made by theologians fasting list a quartz pebble found in a hailstone bibliography part two three fifty five up and down of course another object of quartzite was reported to have fallen in the autumn of eighteen eighty at shroon lake new york said in the scientific american forty three two seventy two to be a fraud it was not the usual about the first of may eighteen ninety nine the newspapers published a story of a snow-white meteorite that had fallen at vincennes indiana the editor of the monthly weather review issue of april eighteen ninety nine requested the local observer at vincennes to investigate the editor says that the thing was only a fragment of a quartz boulder he says that any one with at least a public school education should know better than to write that quartz has ever fallen from the sky notes and queries two eight ninety two that in the leyden museum of antiquities there is a disc of quartz six centimeters by five millimeters by about five centimeters said to have fallen upon a plantation in the dutch west indies after a meteoric explosion bricks i think this is a vice we're writing i recommend it to those who have hankered for a new sin at first some of our data were of so frightful or ridiculous mien as to be hated or eyebrowed was only to be seen then some pity crept in 
I think that we can now embrace bricks. The baked clay idea was all right in its place, but it rather lacks distinction, I think. With our minds upon the concrete boats that have been building terrestrially lately, and thinking of wrecks that may occur to some of them, and of a new material for the deep-sea fishes to disregard, object that fell at Richland, South Carolina, yellow to gray, said to look like a piece of brick. American Journal of Science, 234-298. Pieces of furnace-made brick said to have fallen in a hailstorm at Padua, August, 1834. Edinburgh New Philosophy Journal, 1987. The writer offered an explanation that started another convention, that the fragments of brick had been knocked from buildings by the hailstones. But there is here a concomitant that will be disagreeable to anyone who may have been inclined to smile at the now digestible, enough notion that furnace-made bricks have fallen from the sky. It is that in some of the hailstones, two percent of them that were found with the pieces of brick, was a light grayish powder. Monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, 337-365. Padre Secchi explains that a stone, said to have fallen, in a thunderstorm, at Sapino, Italy, September 1875, had been knocked from a roof. Nature, 33-153, that it had been reported that a good-sized stone of form clearly artificial had fallen at Naples, November 1885. The stone was described by two professors of Naples, who had accepted it as inexplicable but veritable. They were visited by Dr. H. Johnstone Lavis, the correspondent to Nature, whose investigations had convinced him that the object was a shoemaker's lapstone. Now to us of the initiated, or to us of the wider outlook, there is nothing incredible in the thought of shoemakers in other worlds, but I suspect that this characterization is tactical. The object of work stone, or this shoemaker's lapstone, was made of Vesuvian lava, Dr. Johnstone Lavis thinks, most probably of lava of the flow of 1631, from the La Scala quarries. We condemn most probably as bad positivism. As to the men of position who had accepted that this thing had fallen from the sky, I have now obliged them to admit their mistake, says Dr. Johnstone Lavis, or it's always a stranger in Naples who knows La Scala lava better than the natives know it. Explanation. The thing that had been knocked from or thrown from a roof. As to attempt to trace the occurrence to any special roof, nothing said upon that subject, or that Dr. Johnstone Lavis called a carved stone a lapstone, quite as Mr. Simons called a spherical object a cannonball, bent upon discrediting incongruity. Shoemaking and Celestiality It is so easy to say that axes, or wedge-shaped stones found on the ground, were there in the first place, and that it is only coincidence that lightning should strike near one. But the credibility of coincidences decreases as the square root of their volume, I think. Our massed instances speak too much of coincidences of coincidences. But the axes or wedge-shaped objects that have been found in trees are more difficult for orthodoxy. For instance, Arago accepts that such finds have occurred, but he argues that if wedge-shaped stones have been found in tree trunks, so have toads been found in tree trunks. Did the toads fall there? Not at all bad for a hypnotic. Of course, in our acceptance, the Irish are the chosen people. It's because they are characteristically best in accord with the underlying essence of quasi-existence. Mr. Arago answers a question by asking another question. 
That's the only way a question can be answered in our Hibernian kind of an existence. Dr. Boding argued with the natives of the Santal Paragans, India, who said that cut and shaped stones had fallen from the sky, some of them lodging in tree trunks. Mr. Boding, with orthodox notions of velocity of falling bodies, having missed, I suppose, some of the notes I have upon large hailstones, which, for size, have fallen with astonishingly low velocity, argued that anything falling from the sky would be smashed to atoms. He accepts that objects of work stone have been found in tree trunks, but he explains that the santals often steal trees, but do not chop them down in the usual way, because that would be to make too much noise. They insert stone wedges and hammer them instead. Then, if they should be caught, wedges would not be the evidence against them that axes would be. Or that a scientific man can't be desperate and reasonable, too. Or that a pickpocket, for instance, is safe, though caught with his hand in one's pocket, if he's gloved, say, because no court in the land would regard a gloved hand in the same way in which a bare hand would be regarded. That there's nothing but intermediateness to the rational and the preposterous. That this status of our own ratiocinations is perceptible wherein they are upon the unfamiliar. Dr. Boding collected fifty of these shaped stones, said to have fallen from the sky, in the course of many years. He says that the Santals are a highly developed race, and for ages have not used stone implements, except in this one nefarious convenience to him. All explanations are localizations. They fade away before the universal. It is difficult to express that black rains in England do not originate in the smoke of factories. Less difficult to express that black rains of South Africa do not. We utter little stress upon the absurdity of Dr. Boding's explanation, because, if anything's absurd, everything's absurd, or rather, has in it some degree or aspect of absurdity, and we've never had experience with any state except something somewhere between ultimate absurdity and final reasonableness. Our acceptance is that Dr. Boding's elaborate explanation does not apply to cut stone objects found in tree trunks and other lands. We accept that, for the general, a local explanation is inadequate. As to thunderstones not said to have fallen luminously, and not said to have been found sticking in trees, we are told by faithful hypnotics that astonished rustics come upon prehistoric axes that have been washed into sight by rains, and jump to the conclusion that the things have fallen from the sky. But simple rustics come upon many prehistoric things, scrapers, pottery, knives, hammers. We have no recording of rusticity coming upon old pottery after a rain, reporting the fall of a bowl from the sky. Just now my own acceptance is that wedge-shaped stone objects formed by means similar to human workmanship have often fallen from the sky. Maybe there are messages upon them. My acceptance is that they have been called axes to discredit them, or the more familiar a term, the higher the incongruity with vague concepts of the vast, remote, tremendous, unknown. In Notes and Queries 2892, a writer says that he had a thunderstone which he had brought from Jamaica. The description is of a wedge-shaped object, not of an axe. It shows no mark of having been attached to a handle. Of ten thunderstones, figured upon different pages in Blinkenberg's book, nine show no sign of ever having been attached to a handle. One is perforated. But in a report by Dr. C. Lehmans, director of the Leyden Museum of Antiquities, objects said by the Japanese to have fallen from the sky are alluded to throughout as wedges. 
in the archaeologic journal eleven one eighteen in a paper upon the thunderstones of java the objects are called wedges and not axes our notion is that rustics and savages call wedge-shaped objects that fall from the sky axes that scientific men when it suits their purposes can resist temptations to prolixity and pedantry and adopt the simple that they can be intelligible when derisive all of which lands us in a confusion worse i think than we were in before we so satisfactorily emerged from the distresses of butter and blood and ink and paper and punk and silk now it's cannonballs and axes and discs if a lapstone be a disc it's a flat stone at any rate a great many scientists are good impressionists they snub the impertinences of details had he been of a coarse grubbing nature i think dr boating could never have so simply and beautifully explained the occurrence of stone wedges and tree trunks but to a realist the story would be something like this a man who needed a tree in a land of jungles where for some unknown reason everyone's very selfish with his trees conceives that hammering stone wedges makes less noise than does the chopping of wood he and his descendants in a course of many years cut down trees with wedges and escape penalty because it never occurs to a prosecutor that the head of an axe is a wedge the story is like every other attempted positivism beautiful and complete until we see what it excludes or disregards whereupon it becomes the ugly and incomplete but not absolutely because there is probably something of what is called foundation for it perhaps a mentally incomplete santal did once do something of the kind story told to dr boating in the usual scientific way he makes a dogma of an aberration or did we have to utter a little stress upon this matter after all they're so hairy and attractive these scientists of the nineteenth century we feel the zeal of a sitting bull when we think of their scalps we shall have to have an expression of our own upon this confusing subject we have expressions we don't call them explanations we've discarded explanations with beliefs though every one who scalps is in the oneness of allness himself likely to be scalped there is such a discourtesy to an enemy as the wearing of wigs cannonballs and wedges and what may they mean bombardments of this earth attempts to communicate or visitors to this earth long ago explorers from the moon taking back with them as curiosities perhaps implements of this earth's prehistoric inhabitants a wreck a cargo of such things held for ages in suspension in the super sargasso sea falling or shaken down occasionally by storms but by preponderance of description we cannot accept that thunderstones ever were attached to handles or our prehistoric axes as to attempts to communicate with this earth by means of wedge-shaped objects especially adapted to the penetration of vast gelatinous areas spread around this earth in the proceedings of the royal irish academy nine three thirty seven there is an account of a stone wedge that fell from the sky near cashel tipperary august two eighteen sixty five the phenomena is not questioned but the orthodox preference is to call it not axe-like nor wedge-shaped but pyramidal for data of other pyramidal stones said to have fallen from the sky see report of the british association eighteen sixty one thirty four one fell at sagawili india march sixth eighteen fifty three of the object that fell at cashel dr houghton says in the proceedings a singular feature is observable in this stone that i have never seen in any other the rounded edges of the pyramid are sharply marked by lines on the black crest as perfect as if made by a ruler 
Dr. Houghton's idea is that the marks may have been made by some peculiar tension in the cooling. It must have been very peculiar if in all aerolites not wedge-shaped, no such phenomena had ever been observed. It merges away with one or two instances known, after Dr. Houghton's time, of seeming stratification in meteorites. Stratification in meteorites, however, is denied by the faithful. I begin to suspect something else. A whopper is coming. Later it will be reasonable by familiarity, as anything else ever said. If someone should study the stone of Cashel, as Champollion studied the Rosetta stone, he might, or rather, would inevitably find meaning in those lines, and translate them into English. Nevertheless, I begin to suspect something else, something more subtle and esoteric than graven characters upon stones that have fallen from the sky in attempts to communicate. The notion that other worlds are attempting to communicate with this world is widespread. My own notion is that it is no attempt at all, that it was achievement centuries ago. I should like to send out a report that a thunderstone had fallen, say, somewhere in New Hampshire, and keep track of every person who came to examine that stone, trace down his affiliations, keep track of him. Then send out a report that a thunderstone had fallen at Stockholm, say. Would one of the persons who had gone to New Hampshire be met again in Stockholm? But what if he had no anthropological, lapidarian, or meteorologic affiliations, but did belong to a secret society? It is only a dawning credulity. Of the three forms of symmetric objects that have, or haven't, fallen from the sky, it seems to me that the disk is the most striking. So far in this respect we have been at our worst. Possibly that's pretty bad. But lapstones are likely to be of considerable variety of form, and something that is said to have fallen at some time, somewhere in the Dutch West Indies, is profoundly of the unchosen. Now we shall have something that is high up in the casts of the accursed. Comptes Rendus, 1887-182, that upon June twentieth, 1887, in a violent storm, two months before the reported fall of this symmetric iron object of Brixton, a small stone had fallen from the sky at Tarbes, France, 13 millimeters in diameter, 5 millimeters thick, weight 2 grams, reported to the French Academy by Monsieur Soudre, professor of the normal school, Tarbes. This time, the old convenience, there in the first place, is too greatly resisted. The stone was covered with ice. This object had been cut and shaped by means similar to human hands and human mentality. It was a disc of worked stone, très régulière. Il était émagement travaillé. There is not a word as to any known whirlwind anywhere, nothing of other objects or debris that fell at or near this date in France. The thing had fallen alone. But as mechanically as any part of a machine responds to its stimulus, the explanation appears in Comte's Rendus that this stone had been raised by a whirlwind and then flung down. It may be that in the whole nineteenth century no event more important than this occurred in La Nature, 1887, and in La Nature Scientifique, 1887, this occurrence is noted. It is mentioned in one of the summer numbers of Nature, 1887. Fossing lists a paper upon it in the Anywhere de Society Meteorologique, 1887. Not a word of discussion. Not a subsequent mention can I find. Our own expression. What matters is how we, the French Academy, or the Salvation Army may explain. A disc of work stone fell from the sky at Tarbes, France, June twentieth, 1887. 
End of chapter 8b. Recording by Acacia Wood.